0: Well, like Brad and Sam said, my name is Kristen. I'm on staff here at The Living Room. And I thought before we started, I'd give you a little kind of window into a bit of my life. I know I've met a bunch of you, and I haven't met some others of you. And so I thought we'd just get the blood flowing in a different kind of way, pull the energy right back up before we dive in tonight. Well, about, about a month ago, at the beginning of October, I moved into a new house. It wasn't new. Just new to me, but I moved into this house, and if you guys have moved, you know that it, there's boxes everywhere and it's a mess. And the same was true for me, and so I had things kind of propped up against the wall. It just—it's been taking me a long time, honestly, to get and to figure out where do I want things, I want it just right. And so I I just had boxes everywhere, and it was hard to see what was there. And I have this back patio that I owe, and the weather was nice for most of October. And so I have this patio, and I keep the sliding glass door open just so the air comes in, and then when I leave, I shut it. So anyway, so last weekend, the weather was 80 degrees. It was awesome. And so I had had the door open all morning long, and at the end, you know, it's time to go, so I shut the door, I get all my stuff, and I leave, and I was gone for most of the afternoon, and I walk in, it's Saturday, and I walk in, and it's about four o'clock in the afternoon, I come up the stairs, and I turn the corner, and I'm walking kind of in the family room, and something catches my eye in the dining room, and I thought, wait, that's not what I think it is, and so I, I kind of got a little bit closer, and it was underneath my dining room table, and so I was kind of doing this, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And it was, it was about this, not this long, it was about this long, and it was a snake. And I, well, wait, pause. And so I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. Is it, is it alive? Well, it has to be alive because I got in there. And so I was like, Okay, what do, I, what do I do? And then I, I kind of got a little bit closer. So if here's a snake is right here, I was probably standing about this far away. So I was close enough because so I wanted to know what it was doing, and I see its head kind of start to move, and I thought, oh, crap. And so I pick up my phone, and I start calling everyone I could think of within a two-mile radius. I mean, there are people in this room who got phone calls from me, Gavin who did not answer their phone, because I was like, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. And so I'm calling everyone I could think of. My first thought was, I'll go through all the guys that I know who live within two miles from me. I've since learned that fear of snakes does not discriminate against genders. So there are, there are guys who have come to me and said, even if I did answer the phone, I would not have come. So I find, finally I get this one friend on the phone, and the snake's starting to move. So I realize, well, I need to do something about this. So I run into my kitchen, and I get one of those mixing bowls the silver mixing bowls, and so I'm holding... I got the biggest one I could find, and so I'm holding it, and I, and I get pretty close to the snake. I have these tall kitchen, you know, table or chairs, and so I'm kneeling on the chair, like this close to the snake over the snake and I have the bowl in one hand and I finally get someone to pick up the phone and it's a girl I was like what are you doing and she said well I'm at Taste of Atlanta I said there's a snake in my house and she goes what do you want me to do about it I was like I don't know moral support come over it's moving I gotta go so I hung up the phone and I went and I threw the bowl okay to show a picture of the bowl this is totally deceiving because this makes it look like it's like this ice cream bowl and it's not. It was like a big, it was a big mixing bowl. So so here's the kind of the door that I keep open. So there's, it's underneath there. I was like... Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And so I get a tape measure, and I put it on top of the, the bowl, because, you know, tape measures weigh a ton, <laughs> and that will definitely keep the bowl from moving. So then I start calling everyone. So then I take pictures of this, and I'm texting it to people going, someone needs to come over and help. And so finally one person picks up the phone. Him and his wife were getting ready to go out of town, and they said, well, we're leaving in 20 minutes, you know, Let us get get things that we need to get, and we'll stop by on our way out of town. Just wait for us. And so I'm sitting there going, "Oh my gosh, what am I?" And he's like, "Well, how big is it?" I said, "Well, I don't know. Stretched out, it's like two feet. Whatever however big two feet is. It's not huge, but it's not little." And so, so they come over. So they come over and they kind of scoot this bull. Out there, and they get a um, they kind of kicking it. And the wife's like, Don't let that thing go in her house. You know, if you let that go in her house, she is gonna have to spend the night with us, and she will not be happy about that. And so, he's like, Scooting it across, and he gets one of those white plastic buckets, and he, you know, he's holding it like this. And so, he flips that bowl over, and then he gets a broom, and he kind of sweeps it in to it, sweeps it in. And so, he goes, You wanna take a picture of it? So, he has a snake now in one of these big white buckets. He goes, You wanna take a picture of it? I'm like, No. He goes, give me your phone. Let me take a picture of it. And so he starts snapping all these photos while his wife's yelling, this is not a photo shoot. Stop taking pictures. And then he's going, oh, my gosh, it's striking at me. Because for me, when I was yelling on the phone, it was, like, kind of shrinking like this, which is how I could put the bowl on it. But when it was in the bucket, obviously it 's freaked out, and so it starts curling and it 's trying to shoot up the bucket anyway so i'm going if you 're for fear of snakes, i'm sorry, but let me show you a picture of what it looked like. So this is the snake that was in my house it was in my house this is this is blown up, so it is zoomed, so i don 't want to mislead you it 's not like it 's like the length of this st- <laughs> the stage, but that was in my house, and so he took so well, I don't know so he took it and so he's like we'll take it with us and the wife's like I'm not riding in the car with that snake. He was like can't get out and, he, and so anyway I wasn't really sure what they did with it. But I since later found out, they went and uh, there's a kind of ravine by my house. And so he went and he goes, I chucked it about 30 yards over the ravine into the water. I'm like, I hope that thing has a short memory or it's going to grow back up. But people have asked, but I think it's dead. It's gone. There's, there's all kinds of wild stuff out there. But people have asked me all the time. They say, what kind of snake was that? I'm like, I don't know. But I promise you, I've Googled pictures of snakes and it looks exactly like a boa constrictor. <laughs> don't you think? what it totally could have been it really does you do it later not now but it it really does it be it, i think someone could have you know they didn't want it anymore and so they tossed it or it got out Snakes get out all the time and i think it made its way when i had the door open which is even scarier because it was probably in my house for more than just a few hours and i just happened to come at the right time so anyway all that to say is that's a snapshot of my life. There are no more, if you come over, there won't be any more snakes, I promise. But uh, it, it really was, it was, we're going we're gonna to segue here. It was grace that someone came over and was willing to take care of the snake because I was certainly not going to do that. So hard right turn. Here we go. Grace, week two. How many of you guys were here last week? And by just out of curiosity, oh, about how a fair amount, a fair amount. So let me give you, let me kind of put us all on the same page. I know, just forget that, which that's hard because I showed you a picture, but pretend like I didn't. And here's, here's where we're going tonight. So last week, Joseph was here and he taught on this idea of grace and he introduced to us that we tend to view our relationship with God like a transaction. Instead of a relationship like it really is. And he said that the reason why we can think of it. It's so easy for us to want to enter into this transactional relationship with God. Is because this question right here. We tend to approach God and say things like. God if you will I promise I'll always. God if you get this snake out of my house. I promise I'll never open the door again. But God if you help me pass this test. I promise I will always study from here on out. Or we say things like, God, if you will, I promise I'll never. God, if you will, I promise I'll never. God, if you help me pass this test, then I will never skip class again. If you help me get out of the speeding ticket, I promise I will never speed again. God, if you help this hangover to go away, I promise I will never drink again. don't Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have done that? A lot of you, see? But we tend to think that that is how we have to... I'm not endorsing drinking, by the way. But we tend to think that we are supposed to approach God with these promises. And the thing is, is that God doesn't want us to bargain with him. He doesn't want us to negotiate these things. And we say all this stuff because we think that God wants something from us. We think that God wants something from us, but God doesn't want anything from us. It's the other side, that's okay, I passed it. But God doesn't want anything from us. He wants something for us. We tend to approach God like a transaction, like we need to bargain with him because we think that he wants something from us. But the fact is that God wants something for us. Our faith, our relationship with God, it's not a contract model. It's not a negotiating model. It's a gift model. God is extending something to us as a gift we didn't deserve it but he's doing it anyway and that's what we call grace and joseph talked last week about grace and here's what he said we have a relationship with god because of grace we didn't earn a relationship with God. We didn't deserve a relationship with God. But God extends grace to us. And He said it was unmerited favor. That was how we defined it last week that grace is unmerited favor. For me, that gets a little bit hard for me to understand. I'm trying to wrap my mind around what exactly is unmerited favor? It doesn't feel super practical to me. So I like to think of grace in terms of an undeserved gift. For me, that's just easy to, to, to kind of internalize what grace is. Grace is an undeserved gift. We didn't do anything to earn it, but God said, I'm just going to give it to you. We didn't earn our relationship with God. God said, I love you that much that I want to give you this because that's how much I want a relationship with you. And we looked at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith means you just got to believe it. All you have to do is believe it. You have to do anything. Just believe it and accept it. Next verse. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not from yourselves. You didn't do anything. God's just saying, I'm going to give it to you. And so you just have to receive it and believe it. And the last part says, not by works so that no one can boast. Not by works so that no one can boast. You didn't need to do anything to earn a relationship with God. God said, I love you that much that I am going to take care of it. See, your sin separated you from God, and God said, hey, I'm going to pay that penalty for you because there's not enough good works that you can do. There's not enough promises that you can make. There's not enough, if I do this, then will you do this? Or if I do this, then then I'll never, you know, there's none of that, none of that. God said, no, my relationship with you is so important that what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, and all you need to do is believe it. That's grace. That's grace. It is an undeserved gift. We didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it. God just says, that's what I want to extend to you. That's what I want to extend to you. You just need to believe it. It's God's gift to you. And so that's where we ended last week. And so for some of you, you might be sitting here right now and hearing that, or you might have heard that last week, and you're thinking, yeah, but you don't know what I did. You don't know about my life. You don't know what happened last weekend. It was Halloween. You You don't know what went down. You don't know who I slept with. You don't know what drugs I took. You don't know what I did to pass that test. That, that class last semester, you don't know about what happened when I was in middle school. You don't know what happened when I was in high school. You don't know how I spent my weekend last night. I don't know that God's grace will extend to me. And you might be sitting here thinking all of those things, one of those things, something I didn't name. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, you're right, I have no idea what you did. I don't know anything about that. But there is something that I do know, and this is what I know is that God's grace still applies to you. That's what I know. God's grace still applies to you. It's an undeserved gift. You didn't do anything to deserve it. God says, I want a relationship with you that much that I'm going to pay the penalty for all the ways that you messed up. He already paid the price. And here's what I want you to hear. The next slide says this. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation, and that's really hard because uh, we live in this kind of contract, you know, negotiation culture, and we've been ingrained from the very, very, very beginning that if you want good grades, then you have to study hard. You know, if you want your Money, then, you know, your allowance as a kid and you have to do your chores. You know, when you're really little, I bet some of you had parents who they'd take you shopping. That like, just be good. And if you're good, I'll give you ice cream. You know, like we've just heard that from the very beginning. If you want awards for perfect attendance, you got to show up all the time. We have just been taught over and over and over and over again that you have to do something. You have to earn something. You have to achieve something. And so the gospel doesn't work like that. The gospel does not work like that. A relationship with God it does not work like that. And some of you, you, you get that. You get that. You understand it. You believe it. Intellectually, you're like, I, I get that. I, I understand what you're saying, but your actions aren't matching up. Your actions are not matching up with what you believe. And for some of you, you're living a life that says something entirely different you're living a life that's not matching up with the grace that God has extended to you. Instead, what you're doing is you're you're saying, okay, I believe that, but here's what happened last week. And so, you know, I got to go to the living room on Monday night to try to earn back this favor with God, or I better show up to church on Sunday morning or Sunday evening and to earn back this favor with God. And, And that's how you're living your life. And instead of believing that God said, no, my grace is taking care of that for you what you're doing is you're trying to live in the past you know what the truth is but you're trying to live in the past and when you're trying to live in the past it's really hard to live in the present and to move forward the future that's what you're trying to do so God's saying hey no I have things that I want you to do but you're you're not living how I intended you to live you're living like my like your sin I'm counting your sin against you and I'm not you're living like I haven't extended this grace to you but I have, it's kind of like, it's kind of like that snake, and I don't want to really bring that up again, but it's kind of like that snake, so when I first called people to come over and get it, uh, you know, there was no way I was going to take care of that thing, there was no way that I was going to be able to take care of that, and someone needs to come over and take care of it, they did, they took care of it, done, and after I've told that story a a bunch of times all week long, because it's kind of funny now that I'm not in it, and, you know, people go, there is nowhere I w- I can't believe you stayed at your house. I would have went and got a hotel. I would have went and stayed at a friend's house. I would have, you know, the list is endless. Everybody, Everybody's response was, how come you slept at your house? I would not have slept at your house. I can't believe you did. And I'm thinking, the snake is not there. Of course I'm going to sleep at my house. What? That's crazy. But what I did do for about five days is after it was gone, I would walk in, and I would turn the light on in that room and be like, is it there? Because, you know, but it's like I knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't there, I knew it wasn't there anymore, but there was a part of me that was still like acting as if it was, acting as if it was like going to jump out, and specifically I was looking in the exact same spot, like if it did come back that was where I was going to go, it was weird, but, you know, and I would jump and everything would make me jumpy, for about five days I was doing that and I realized, Kristen, stop, you don't need to, this is your house all you need to do is enjoy it. Walk around freely in your house. You don't need to worry about this thing coming and jumping out at you. And so it was, it, it was just a, it was a good reminder for me to, to be, think, I don't need to let this past affect my current and my future actions. And for some of you, that's what you're doing. And that's where we're headed tonight. And here's what I want you to see. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation, but there is something for you to do because of it. Because you might be wondering, well, okay, I've been saved, you know, by grace. Now what? I can just do whatever I want? Well, no. Not that. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. So you need to know that. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. But there is something for you to do because of it. There is something for you to do because of it. And that's what I want you to get tonight. So last week... You know, Joseph talked about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. He says, for by grace you've been saved by faith. But what you need to hear is that... that wasn't just for, That's not the end of the story. You've been saved by grace through faith for a reason. You've been saved by grace for a specific purpose. And verse 10 is what comes next in this letter to the Ephesians that Paul was writing when he penned the book of Ephesians. And he says this in verse 10. So you've been saved by grace through faith because... We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to unpack that, but here's what I want you to hear initially. There is a plan for your life. There is a purpose for your life. God has things that he wants to use you to do. God has very specific things that he wants to do. That is why he extended his grace to you and brought you into relationship. He doesn't want you to live in the past. He wants you to believe what he's done and move towards the future because God has things that he wants you to do. And here's what's so interesting about this, is that if you don't get this truth, then you're not going to really be able to experience the life that God has for you. You're not going to really fully experience everything that God has planned for you. Here's one of the things that I love about this verse. This word workmanship right here. If you were to look at the original language, you would discover that the original meaning is work of art or masterpiece. That's how our English language defines it. That this word workmanship is a work of art or a masterpiece. Have you ever thought of yourself like that? I, I am a work of art. I am a masterpiece. Because that's what God's saying. He's saying, Hey, I saved you so that you would be my work of art. You would be my masterpiece. That's what He's saying. And as my work of art and as my masterpiece, I have things that I want for you to do. How many of you have ever been to an art gallery or a museum of any sort, the High Museum or anything? Okay, so what you notice when you walk in there is that everything looks different. There's no two identical pieces of of art in there. Nothing's the same, and the same goes for you. It's all up to the creator, and the same goes for you. None of you are going to look alike. You're all going to look different because God designed you that way. He designed you very specifically and very uniquely so that you all would have very specific things to do with your life. No two of you are the same. And one of the things that I love, love, love about this word that God says we are his workmanship so the original root word of that word workmanship is where we have derived our English word poem so if you were looking if you're reading this and in the original language you'd stumble across that and you'd recognize it like hey that word looks familiar oh that's where we've gotten our word poem and I love to think of our lives my life your life as as this as this poem it because it helps me so one of the things you notice about a poem right right off the bat is that it rhymes at the end it, it, that's an easy way it's what makes a poem identifiable it's easy to spot it but we also notice that not all poems rhyme you know that's, the rhyming is just one of the ways that we see it initially but they don't they don't all do that they take lots of shapes or forms but what all poems do is they tell a story They're not just words on a page. They're not just words that are thrown together in weird formations like some poems. They all are telling a story. They all have a purpose. They all have a meaning. The author has penned those words because he has something that he wants to communicate through the poem. And the same is true for you. There is a story that God wants to tell through your life. There is a story that God wants to tell through your life he has a message that he wants to use through your life and all of your lives are going to look different and some of you your lives are going to look neat and tidy that's just that's how to, you know they'll, you'll see the rhymes at the end of the sentences and for others you your life won't look like that it might look messy and you might be tempted to think God can't use me my life doesn't look like theirs it doesn't look neat God can't use me but yeah he can it doesn't matter that's why grace was extended to you that's why it doesn't matter what your life looks like. Your Grace covers that. And he says, I have a story that I want to tell through your life. I have things that I want you to do. I have a message that people need to hear through your life. And so I need you to get this. I need you to understand this. I need you to live in the truth because I have a purpose for your life. And if you insist on living like my grace didn't cover your sins, then you're not going to fulfill that message and that purpose. And that's what I want you to hear. And you, and you may never know some of those things that God wants to do through your life, but one of the things that I believe that God wants to do through your life One of the reasons that God has created you as his masterpiece, as his work of art, is because he wants to use your life to extend grace to other people. He wants you to be a picture of what it looks like, to have this real right relationship with God and to be that example to other people because... You and I both know that a lot of people have some crazy ideas about who God is. And they think that it it is about negotiating and bargaining. But God says, you know, I, I I can show them myself, but I want to use you. I want to use you to do that. I want to use your life to show people the truth of who God is. And so Paul, the author of Ephesians, he also wrote another book. He wrote a book, Romans. And in there, he was talking about this same idea about grace. And only in this book, he spent 11 chapters doing it, basically saying, look, guys, hey, you don't, this way that you're interacting with God, you don't need to do it anymore. I mean, God paid the price for you. God paid, he, he says this basically for 11 chapters. And so for 11 chapters, he's saying, hey, God paid the price for you. So I need you to now live differently. Don't live in the past, live in the future. And now after I've spent 11 chapters telling you what it looks like, Now I'm going to spend the next several chapters, I'm going to say, now this is what good works look like. This is what it looks like to live in the future. And so I want you to see something because it's incredibly fascinating. Okay, Romans 12, 17, we're going to read through 20. But do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And continues on. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Okay, so just let me just real briefly let me explain with this. So, God, so Paul's saying, hey, hey, look, guys. There's going to be situations in your life, and they're going to be hard. And I need you to just do right with people. What that means is just have a clear conscience. So he's saying, hey, if you need to forgive someone, forgive. If you need to apologize to someone, apologize. Just make sure your relationships are in a right standing and. As far as it depends on you. There's going to be times when it's out of your control. But when it is in your control, just do something. So he continues on and says this. This gets confusing, but I promise it's going to be worth it. So on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. What? Let me just read that again. You're going to like this, I promise. So on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, you've been extended this grace. So here's what I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need you to live very differently than how the world's living. I'm going to need you to show kindness without any strings attached. I'm going to need you to love with, with no expectations. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If you are thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Paul is saying, "Hey, I want you to just live differently. I want you to live differently than how everyone else is living because." This is so cool. Because, verse 20, when you live differently than culture says, when you don't have these expectations of getting something, when you can give freely, when you can give this gift to other people that you have been given yourself, what you will do, verse 20, is you will heap burning coals on his head. Huh? I mean, are you saying, are you telling me that when I live differently that... I'm gonna throw fire on them. Is it my initial thought when I first read this years ago was, is it like like cows? You know how when you brand cows? Like, is that what I'm doing? Like, no, 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 that's not. That's not what he's talking about. So during this time period, there was a tradition among the Egyptians during this exact same time that Paul was writing to the Romans. And there was a tradition that everyone who was reading this letter would have been very familiar with. And so there's a popular belief among a lot of scholars, and this is what Paul was referring to. So there's a, the tradition goes like this. Among the Egyptians, when you wanted to say sorry, or you wanted to repent, or you wanted to ask for forgiveness, or change your behavior, or change your way of thinking, what you would do is this. In this community, you would go and you would take a basket, and you would fill it with live, hot, burning coals and you would take this basket as a sign of repentance and as a sign of, hey, I need forgiveness. I've done something wrong. And what you would do is you'd put it on your head and you would walk out into the community as a sign of repentance. So God is saying, here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you live differently, when you live differently with other people and you extend my grace to other people, and you show them that it's possible to know God that's so different than how they've previously been knowing God, you might be helping them to change their mind about who God is. And these people who are reading this, they would have got that. And so for those of you who are sitting here right now, how this applies to you is, There might be people in your life who you need to extend grace to. You need to be a reflection of this grace that God has given you. You need to allow your life to be a response. And so there might be a roommate, there might be a professor, there might be a classmate, there might be a parent, there might be someone at Starbucks when you're studying all the time. They need you to live differently with them. They need your life to be a reflection of who God is because in so doing, you might very well be heaping burning coals on their head and you're helping them change how they view God and the truth of who God is. You are a work of art. You are a masterpiece. And God has things that he wants for you to do. God has things that he wants for you to do. This might be one of them. This might be one of them. But here's the thing. I need you to get this right now. I need you to get this right now because if you don't, you are selling yourself short. You are selling yourself short from the life that God has intended for you to live. He doesn't want you to live in the past, which will prevent you from being fully present, which will prevent you from doing the things that God has in store for you in the future. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, I don't know that I, you know, I don't know that I deserve it because, you know, you don't know what I did to." try to pass that class and you know and so it serves me right you know I don't get you know I don't I don't I I don't deserve these good grades you know because I it doesn't matter God said I took care of that I just need you to change how you act and to change your behavior for some of you you've made really bad choices in relationships and you're trying to make better choices but you think I don't know if I deserve a better boyfriend or a better girlfriend because of the decisions that i've made in the past and so your actions aren't reflecting what god has said you are instead you're you're thinking well i'm just going to settle then because i don't deserve any i don't deserve anything better but god has his best god has his best for you do not settle do not compromise you are a masterpiece and god has things in store for you that he wants you to do and you cannot do them if you insist on living in the past He wants the truth about who he said you to be in his relationship to affect how you act. And it's a response. It's not a negotiation. So here's your bottom line if you remember nothing else. Nothing else. Here's the one thing I want you to remember after tonight. It's this. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. But there is something for you to do because of it. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation but there is something that you can do because of it. You are a work of art. You are a masterpiece. I just want you to live like it, and so does God. I'm going to pray for us. God, I am so thankful that you do not give up on us. Thank you that you have invited us freely into relationship Thank you that you care deeply. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that your grace covers our past, present, and our future, that there's nothing that we can do that would disqualify us from a relationship with you. And so, God, I I pray that we would understand that tonight. I pray that we would get that. I pray that we would be confident in who you've said that we are. And I pray that we would walk in boldness. Jesus, would you fill us with truth, that we couldn't help but live a life that is modeled after who you say we are. So, God, we are grateful, we are thankful, and we are so glad that you've called us into relationship with yourself. pray this in your son's name. Amen.